We are concluding. This will be week six that we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. How many of you know we could go longer? He is a vital part of, uh, I mean, part of the Godhead, but uh, the agent that God has left on this earth for us to enable to do the things that God's called us to do. Amen? So I'm going to begin today kind of where I ended last week. If you missed last week, we talked about the first six of the nine gifts of the Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 12, verse 7 and 11. And let me just begin. I know there's a lot of people, even some churches, they're like, oh, these gifts don't happen today anymore. We believe that that ended with the apostles. Uh, let me just say, we are either biblical Christians and we see the scripture and we accept it for what it is, or we allow tradition to tell us what's right. And there's no biblical evidence that these gifts have stopped. As a matter of fact, there's more evidence that these are continuing. Let me read that to you. I want to read that list to you real quick. Uh, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message or a word of wisdom. We talked about that. To another, the message or word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, uh, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he gives them to everybody say each one. Each one. How many of you guys here are in each one? Right? You have, God, God has gifted with you, a, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, how many of you know there's a gift in you? It may be unwrapped, it may be unopened, but there is a gift in you, and the Holy Spirit is the one that gives that to each one of us. So uh, last week I shared with you the grouping of uh, uh, just a way to, of remembering them, and we talked about the gifts of Revelation where there's a words of wisdom, and just if you, if you missed it, a word of wisdom gives us direction on how to do something. A word of knowledge basically gives you facts. It'll just give you information. You kind of need both of those sometimes, right? You need the knowledge and you need the wisdom to uh, do what you're doing. Then the discerning of spirits we talked about. We got into the gifts of power, faith. This goes beyond just uh, receiving Jesus. Everybody's got a measure of faith, but there's a supernatural gift of faith that God imparts to us to begin to believe God for bigger things. Amen? There's miracles in healings and the difference in those two. God can heal if you have a sickness or, or even a disease. God can heal it. But how many of you know a miracle if somebody's dead and comes back to life again? That's a wee bit more than a, a healing. Am I right? Right? If somebody has been lame or blind or, or, or deaf in an ear, that's not just a healing, that's a restoration thing, that's a miracle. And so there's a difference between the two, and today we're going to get in, at, in a little bit, the, the vocal gifts, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. I hope you guys are ready. You, you may have heard this, maybe you haven't, but I think it'll be encouraging to you. So first of all, I want to, uh, as we get ready to wrap this up, why are we talking about spiritual gifts? Why is it so important? And, and I know we've covered these verses uh, throughout the last five weeks, but Jesus, before he departed, he says, don't leave Jerusalem uh, until the Father sends you the gift he promised. 
As I told you about, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with whom? The Holy Spirit. And then he tells them why a couple of verses later. He says, you're going to receive, what's the magic word there? Power. This is not you just really pumping yourself up, that kind of power. This is a supernatural power. You're going to receive a supernatural power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So God wanted to empower his church before he sent his church out to proclaim the gospel. There's a reason for that, because God did not send us, like, like when I went into the military, they didn't just put a uniform on me and say, hey, listen, you can go take the enemy now. How many of you know they gave me this amazing thing called an M16, right? They equipped you to be able to do the task. Can you imagine the, the, the soldiers going out and they have no weapons, they have no power? They don't even have any armor on or anything like that. That's foolish. And sometimes as a church, we go out to do the things God called us to do in our own power. I want to do it in His power. Amen? Amen. That power enabled the follower of Christ to spread the good news. I love, this is one of my favorite verses. If you've heard me for a while, you've probably heard me quote this. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. How many of you know, a lot of people can be very, some people are really good at words. They don't even, you don't even have to know God to be really good at words. There are people that convince you, can convince you to do almost anything. They call them salesmen, right? They'll cause you to buy something, and after they left, you're thinking, why did I buy this? Right? Anybody ever bought something you didn't want to buy? Because they sold you on it, right? Let me tell you, there are people, and the scripture even talks about, who peddle the gospel. Listen, I don't want to, and Paul's saying, listen, I'm not peddling, I'm not just coming up with these wise and persuasive words. He goes, but it's with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, right? And here's the reason. He goes, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. Right? The gospel we preach shouldn't just be clever uh, words that we've come up with. It's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit in acting. And, and the reason I, even be I believe that is if somebody with wise and persuasive words can talk you into becoming a follower of Christ, how many of you know it's only going to take either trials, tribulation, or somebody smarter to talk you out of it? Right? Oh, yeah, did that what God... But let me tell you, when your faith is resting on the power of God, can I tell you, anybody can argue whatever they want. You're like, hey, listen, I hear what you're saying, but I know what God's done in my life. Yes, right? I have experienced the power of God. He has done things that you can talk till you're blue in the face, and it might even make sense, but I know what God's done in my life. I mean, we sang that song a minute ago, what he's done. That's a good thing to do. Remind yourself, what has God done in my life? Right? My faith is resting on God's power. Last week I ended with a story about Peter and John healing the lame man going into the temple. Uh, so I want to pick it back up and expound just a little bit more than I did last week. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 4. Uh, Peter and John, they're looking at him. That's the lame man. And Peter says, look at us. So he's at the gate. He's begging because that's what he does. He can't work. He doesn't make any money, so he's there begging. If somebody gives him attention, guess what he's expecting? He's expecting money. Give me some money, right? So the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. 
But Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold. Can I tell you, if you're begging and someone tells you that, that's kind of a bummer right there. <laughs> oh, man, then why are you even talking to me, right? I just need some money. And they said, I don't have any silver and gold, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I shared this last week. Too many times the church today, as believers, we're giving money. We're like, hey, listen, you know what? All I got is 20 bucks for you. But I want to tell you that people need a miracle, amen? People need to be introduced to Christ. How many of you, if you were this lame man, would you like 20 bucks or would you be able to like to get up and walk again? Amen? And so as the church, we need to be the ones that are empowered with the gifts of the Spirit in order to give people what they really need, what not all that I got. Man, all I got is this. I want to have Christ. I want to have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life so that when I encounter somebody on the road and they're wanting one thing, and it's like, hey, listen, I know that's what you want, but I'm going to give you something what you need, something that's going to make your life whole again. That's what it was. He didn't just get healed. He did, it, it was a miracle, right? It was, a, it was a phenomenal thing. And so he says, I'll give you what I have. That's the power that's the gifts of the Holy Spirit being manifested through uh, Peter's life at that moment. And it says, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, think about this, and helped him up. Now let me ask this, was this a gift of healing or was it a miracle? Yeah, it was a miracle. This guy hadn't, he may have never walked or it's been a long time. And you realize once your legs are not in operation, you lose muscle mass. So whether he ever walked or whether it's been years since, his walk, since he walked, we don't know, but he helped him up, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed. What did that look like? Like muscles forming on his legs, like in a minute? I would love to see replay on that in heaven, amen? What did that look like? And, and instantly they were healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Now, how many of you know, that's how you know it's a miracle, because... Uh, anybody here at this point, like when you wake up in the morning, you've been sleeping all night and it's like, oh, you know, oh, I got to get to the bathroom, you know, and you're just, nobody is like jumping up and like leaping and dancing before the Lord, right? Especially in the morning. Am I right? So that's a miracle right there. He's walking, leaping, praising God. He went into the temple and let me tell you that caused a stir. People were like, whoa, there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power right there. The gift of miracles took place, and all of the people began to notice it. Check it out. All the people saw him walking, heard him praising God, and when they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Wouldn't you have been? If someone you've known has been lamed like all their life, and the next thing you know they're walking around, you're like, whoa, what happened? Right? How did that happen? And it says that they all rushed out into an amazement to Solomon's colonnade. It was an area where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. This miraculous power, this gift of the Spirit was demonstrated. It drew a crowd, and check it out. Now Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. It's like, miracle happened, power of the Holy Spirit happened, it drew a crowd, and Peter's like, huh, I got me an audience, right? I got me an and then he preached to him. I'm not going to read the whole thing right there, uh, but as a result of 
that miracle and Peter taking his opportunity to preach the crowd, the scripture says in Acts 4, many of the people who heard the message believed, so now the men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Now, I don't know why the scripture only counted the men. Uh, if you counted men and women and kids, there could have been 15 plus 20,000 people there that gave their life to the Lord. Uh, earlier, the previous like altar call that might have happened in the church was in, on the day of Pentecost, and it went to 3,000. Immediately, it jumped another 2,000. Why? Because a gift, the power of the Holy Spirit was demonstrated, and it was followed by a word from God, right? Preaching. That Listen, people can get saved just by the preaching of the word, am I right? Right, because that's God's word. But let me tell you, when you add in the dimension and the power of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, that's power right there. Right? That's God doing amazing things uh, right there. So we, here's the thing. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. We need it. Not just because, oh, well, I, I'll, we, can, we can still do things, but let me tell you, I want to do things in His power again. Wouldn't you agree? Now, if you happen to have social media... And you're my friend on Facebook. Who can going to be my friend? Uh, I saw this post uh, by Jim Cimbala after I preached last week on the first six gifts. And I thought, man, that was good. And I actually have this book. It's been years since I read it. But I wanted to bring this quote back out. He says, with sin on the rampage and demonic powers controlling more and more of our culture. How many of you know that is true? Right? He says, we need an endowment of divine power similar to what God gave the early church. How many of you know? We need that. And he says, why don't we stop rationalizing and justifying the spiritual impotence all around us? Everybody say, ooh, yeah. <laughs> why not rather humble ourselves, seek God with all of our heart for something from heaven? Isn't that good? Man, let's give the Lord a hand clap. No, like, God, I need that. I don't want to give a, well, you know what? That just doesn't really happen anymore. I don't know. I don't know if this takes place. Like, stop rationalizing it. If we're going to see the Great Commission fulfilled, which means going into all the world, how many of you know we're not going to do it on our own? We've got to be actively engaged with the agent that God gave us, His Holy Spirit, in order to do this. Amen. So like I said, if you missed last week for whatever reason, uh, you can go back. We have it on Facebook. We got it on YouTube. We've got a podcast you can actually subscribe to, and, and you can listen to it. Those first six gifts are powerful, and we need it. So I'm not going to go back over those, but I'm going to cover the last three uh, today, prophecy, tongues, and an interpretation of tongues. And let me just start out with prophecy. So I gave a definition a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that I'm sticking with. I didn't come up with it, but I thought it was a good one. While the gift of prophecy may at times have a futuristic message, it is primarily a foretelling of revealed truth, like giving out truth right now that applies to us today. That's what that's talking about. Uh, rather than a foretelling of future events. Most often, prophecy is an inspired message given in the local church without any prediction and has immediate application to existing needs. Can I tell you, if all of our prophecy is about, oh, somewhere in the future this is going to happen, somewhere in the future, prophecy is about right now. And I'm going to give you scripture to prove that. Because, I mean, the gift's been operating since Genesis, but can I tell you, in the New Testament, it's a little different. It's a little bit different. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says this about prophecy. The one who prophesies does three things, strengthens others, encourages them, 
and comforts them. So that's an earmark of what prophecy is. You can say it like this. I've heard it said like this. Build up, stir up, and cheer up. Isn't that good? I need to build others up. I need to stir them up whenever. How many of you know sometimes we all need encouragement? That's what a prophetic word can do. If you're in a place where you're, you need comfort, anybody ever need comfort? Right? Life is like just beating you down. We need those prophetic words God gives us. We'll do all three of those. Amen? Prophecy is not for tell, about telling people uh, what to do. That's not what it is. Let me tell you, I, we, on the internet, how many of you know there's all kinds of bizarre, I've talked about this a couple weeks ago, bizarre people that will get, I, I mean, there's one place that is giving out prophetic words, oh, God told me for you to move to my state where our church is because this is what, this is what you need to do. How many of you know that's wrong? Some people will use this gift to build themselves up and, and somewhat become a bit of a dictator in their church. Right or in the church body as a whole. That's unbiblical. Amen? That's why prophecy is supposed to be judged. Again, I, I don't know, it's been a couple of months since I talked about that, but uh, this is important. Verse 29 says, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate or judge what is said. Right? It has to be, and, and I'll cover that a little bit more later, uh, but check this out. First uh, Thessalonians says this, Verse 5, uh, 19, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Some versions say quench the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that's possible? If the Holy Spirit tells you to do something and you don't do it, that's what we call quenching the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he says this, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything and hold on to the good. So I believe that Paul is warning us of two mistakes that we can make. Don't be guilty of any, either one of them. Number one is despising prophetic words, rejecting them altogether. There are some people and some churches, they don't believe that this stuff happens anymore. They reject it. It's like, no, that gift doesn't uh, happen. They're just making those words up in their head. They're just saying what they want to say. Uh, let me tell you, that's wrong. Prophecy still happens. God is still using people. So don't reject it altogether. But secondly, he says to test everything. Right? What does that mean? Don't just believe everything just because somebody says this is a word from God. Right? Just because, well, it's a word from God. Is it? Uh, let me test it. Let me see if it is. Because uh, it's wrong to be gullible and just say, oh, yeah, everything's from God. And it's wrong to say, oh, no, God doesn't do it anymore. So, how many of you know there's like a balance? Right? Growing up, I used to hear this phrase. And it didn't seem like many people in the first service heard it. But uh, what happens? You eat the meat, and what do you do with the bones? Spin them out, right? Like sometimes you got to take the word, like, okay, let me eat the meat, but you know what? I'm not eating the bone. That's the same sometimes true with prophecy. So how do we judge it? How do we judge it? I don't remember if I put this in your notes, but I'm going to check. Oh, there we go. I did do it. Through the scriptural test, does uh, the prophecy agree with scripture? Right? If somebody's giving you some word that isn't in agreement with the scripture, how many of you know it's wrong? How do I know it's wrong? Is because the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the people to write Scripture. And how many of you know he's not going to contradict himself? I know that's what I said there. And you hear people, well, I'm giving you deeper revelation. No, if it's contradicting Scripture, it's contradicting Scripture and it's wrong. Uh, the second thing is, does the prophecy uplift Jesus or does it uplift a personality? 
right? Is it uplifting an individual? Uh, I didn't have this. You can write this down. Revelations 19.10, it says this, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus, right? It's got to, it's got to point to Jesus. If it's not pointing to, if it's pointing any other direction, how many of you know that's a test and it's not God? Uh, thirdly, does the prophesy, prophecy edify God's people? Because, again, going back to the other, verse 2, if it doesn't strengthen, if it doesn't encourage, and if it doesn't comfort, then there's no reason to believe that was a word from God. And that doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to be critical of the word. No, but we've got to have a healthy view of what prophecy is. Uh, an example would be out of uh, 1 Timothy uh, 1.18, because Timothy got a call of God with a word of prophecy. Oh, well, I missed... I didn't even put it in there, but that, I'm going to get to that in a second. First uh, Timothy says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. And so he got a prophetic word that really helped him out. How many of you know sometimes we need to hang on to those words that were spoken? Right? Don't just hear and like, oh, well, that was interesting and go on your day. If you got some encouragement, if you got uh, uh, built up or stirred up, hang on to it. It's not a bad thing to write it down. That's one of the reasons we like to have the microphone uh, here because it will get recorded and sometimes people like to go back like, let me hear, let me hear that word again. All right, let me write that down. There are people that watch online. They want to hear it. Amen? So nothing wrong with that. Uh, the prophet, hang on to that. But let me, here's another word of caution. Man, there's so many things I could cover that I'm not going to be able to, but I think this is important. When it comes to directive prophecy, uh, it shouldn't, that shouldn't be the only thing that you hang on to, right? If somebody comes up to you, like if I were going to come up and say, Danny, I feel like the Lord has called you to Africa. That's a prophetic word. And he says, okay, hon, let's go home. Let's pack our bags. We're going to Africa. Pastor said, gave the word. He gave the prophetic word. Uh, if you do that, that's foolish. Can I say that? Because it's got to be confirmation. God confirms his word, and sometimes that prophetic word is just one of those confirmations that God will give you. I mean, let me, let me tell you this, because this was a big one back in Bible college, and my wife was chuckling because it happened to her, not by me, but uh, many young men, if they, wanted, they were dating somebody, and they would come up, and this happened. They would, let me speak. I, I got a word from God. God told me you're going to be my wife. Any women ever get that before? Right? And it's like, God told me, and uh, I remember my wife told this one individual, this before we were dating, she's like, well, that's great. As soon as the Lord tells me, then uh, we'll do it. <laughs> God will confirm his word. Don't go around saying stuff like that, okay? Let me just say that. I'm gonna go, I wish I could go back to Bible college and tell all them that, but uh, that's why I have this verse here. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And I believe that with a prophetic word. If God speaks something into your life, something directive telling you to do something, uh, you wait for a confirmation from God. Amen? When Mary was spoken to by the angel, the scripture says that she pondered it in her heart. That's like, okay, let me, okay, that's a word. Let me hang on to that. And God brings confirmation. And he brought it many times. I could go on on that, but I'm not. So uh, that's prophecy. Don't act on just that. Allow, allow God to use that as a confirmation. Amen? So uh, the next one is tongues. And uh, boy, this is a good one, okay? Because I believe it's the most uh, misunderstood, sometimes difficult for people to understand. But let's just say tongues itself, 
simply means, in the Greek, it means language. Okay, it doesn't mean your verbal tongue, your tongue that you can hang on to. It is a language. So you could actually call this the gift of tongues, or you could call it the gift of languages. And you're like, this doesn't mean somebody that is multi-linguistic. Uh, How do you say that? Yeah, what is it? Yeah, well, bilingual would be too, but multilingual. There you go. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean that. It's basically the one that is speaking, it's an unknown language to them. And they're speaking that. And the general principle that I think people have problems with is uh, uh, the, the actual tongue that we have in our mouth. How many of you know your tongue has probably caused more than 50% of the problems in your life? I didn't do a survey on that. I just know in my life, it's, how many of you would agree, my tongue has got me into more than 50% of my problems in life? Right? It's a problem, child. Just say it. Just tell your tongue. It's a pro- you're a problem. You are a serious problem, child. And uh, uh, anybody, we, we understand that. And James confirms it. He says, no one can tame the tongue. It is, re- it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Man, how many times have I gone back and like, why did I say that, right? Why did I, why did I say that? But here's the thing. Why did God even give us a tongue? And in, in Psalms, David says, you know, that the tongue is to glorify God. Paul says this, whether in word or deed, let's do it as unto God. So the reality is every use of the tongue that doesn't glorify God is a misuse. When we allow words that come out that are not glorifying to God, when we speak to other people and gossip and backbiting and all of that stuff, how many of you know that's a misuse of tongue? No, and here's the problem. Nobody can control it. Even after you get saved, it's still a problem, isn't it? Right? It's like, man, you know what? I'm saved, but my tongue still needs to get saved. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying here. So that's why we need this supernatural ability to help us to control it. Amen? Romans 6.13. It says, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Any part of your body. I mean, all you got to do is begin to think from head to toe, what part of my body is being used to serve uh, as an instrument to serve sin? Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body. Everybody say whole body. My whole body is an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And yes, that includes your tongue. All right, that includes your tongue because it is the worst. So uh, the first recorded incident of speaking in tongues was on the day of Pentecost. And, and the scripture says that they all spoke in an unknown tongue. The crowd formed all around. People heard them speaking in their own language. And, and the, here's the thing. The crowd knew that these men uh, did not know their language from where they came from. And they were a little perplexed by like that. It took, a, took them a, a, a little off guard. Like, how do you know that? Like if I was traveling around the world and maybe I, I landed somewhere in Africa or China where nobody spoke English and I heard like a 12-year-old uh, boy praying in complete English, how many of you know that would capture my attention? Like, wait, how, how did you learn that? Right? That, well, that's what was going on there. They heard that. So here's the thing about a tongue or a language that God gives us. He helps us speak in a language that we don't know. And it could be uh, an earthly language, a known earthly language, or it could be a heavenly language, right? One that, you know, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of 
men and angels. Did I have that up there? Right. So the tongues of a man, the language of men, that's how it reads. I could be speaking Chinese, and I've never learned Chinese, right? Or of angels, that's a heavenly language that nobody else on this earth knows, right? Nobody else has any idea. Uh, now let's look at 1 Corinthians 12.10. He tells them, speaking in different kinds, or some say various kinds of tongues. The different kinds simply means there are different purposes for tongues, and this is where a lot of people get confused because they hear tongues and they think of only one purpose, right? They think about the tongues and interpretation. But the reality is there are three different purposes of tongues uh, that I want to talk about and for us to begin to understand it. So uh, the first purpose is our direct personal communion with God, right? The first use is that my, my spirit and God's spirit are connecting at a level that my mind can't do. Right, because my mind has limitation, and this is not in a known uh, language. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14 2, anyone who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to men, so it's not a known language on this earth, but he's speaking to God. Indeed, no one understands him. There's nobody in the world that can understand him except for God, and he's uttering mysteries with a spirit. So this is not a known language, it's a, it's a heavenly language. And let me just say, this aspect of tongues is available to everybody. This is available to everybody. And, and when it happens, like, what's the purpose? Why am I doing that? I don't know what I'm saying. I, I'm uttering mysteries. Well, two verses later, he tells us why we would do that. It says, he who speaks in a tongue does what? Edifies, Edifies builds up yourself, right? Is that not a good thing? We need to be built, even though I don't intellectually understand what I'm saying, there is an aspect of me, there's body, soul, and spirit. My spirit is praying, circumventing my mind, and, and connecting with God in a way that I can't ever do in my own mind, right? I don't understand it, but, but there is a difference when your spirit man is built up, how many of you know the rest of you is built up? When your spirit man is drained... The rest of you is feeling drained. And you're like, I don't know how to build up my spirit. Well, I'm going to read the word. Yes, that's a good thing. But your spirit also needs a time to communicate with God's spirit. And you're like, well, this seems silly. You know what? This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't have to make any sense, right? You're uttering mysteries. That's what the scripture says. You don't even know what you're saying. I don't have to intellectually understand it in order for my spirit man to be built up. So look, he says this. If I pray in a tongue... My spirit is praying. I mean, that's kind of weird. Isn't that a little weird? If you're not used to like this lingo, like what's going on? Your spirit is praying, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray in my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. So Paul is basically saying, listen, there's more than one way of prayer. There's more than one way of prayer. There's more than one way of singing praise to God. And both of them are important. I can pray with my mind. How many of you know that's important? That's important. But also praying in our spirit. We need both of them. Amen. If you're going to walk in the true power and strength that God wants to give us, we got to be praying in both of them. Amen. We can be singing in both of them. Amen. So listen, if, I, if all I do is pray with my mind... Somewhere along the line, i got to realize I'm missing something. My spirit is like, man, I want to communicate. 
I want to communicate so, uh, uh, and express ourselves. So that's the first. That's the first purpose. The second one, this is what most people kind of, they read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, but this is when a tongue is given in an assembly, it is followed by an interpretation of that. This uh, gift only happens to a few people. Not everybody operates in this gift. Uh, a few will. But when it happens, it's combined with the interpretation of tongues. And the scripture says that it's equal to prophecy. So it's different than the first purpose. It sounds similar because it's speaking in an unknown language, but it's different in its purpose. So does that make sense? I'll cover more about that in a second. I'm going to move to the third one. The third one is it's a sign for unbelievers. Now this happens, it's probably a little more rare, especially uh, in a church or in a culture where most everybody speaks the same language. Uh, but it does happen. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says this, Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for whom? You're like, how? How does that happen? Well, let me back up again to the day of Pentecost. Remember what happened. The Holy Spirit came, 120 of them. They all got filled. They all began to speak in these known languages on earth, but they were unknown to them. It caused the crowd to gather around like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, Peter's got another crowd, right? Just like, uh, you know, when he healed the other person, the lame man. There's a crowd, and uh, they be, he began to preach them because he got their attention. The scripture says that 3,000 men, okay, I'm sorry, it doesn't include women and children, but you are included in the kingdom, amen? The gift of tongues brought about a crowd so that the preaching of the gospel could take place. The next chapter, the, the miracle, the gift of uh, miracles happened, and it brought a crowd so that uh, people could learn, amen? And let me just say, this still happens today. You're like, what, really? Yeah, it's, I've heard stories from uh, missionaries, from different people, and I actually got, a, uh, I got an excerpt from a magazine that I get on a quarterly basis. It's called Enrichment, and uh, the guy in the, in the book, he wrote, and, uh, he wrote a book, and this is like eight examples in this article, and I've got some copies back there where Christian's at. I got about 20. If you want one and we run out, I've got it in a PDF. I can email it to you. But I wanted to read a couple of them uh, to you because I just think it, it is so powerful. Uh, one was uh, 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 this individual while attending North Central Bible University, Merlin Lund, that's a name, prayed for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Time after time, he sought the Lord, but nothing happened. Then one day in prayer, he started making clicking sounds. This noise surprised everybody, but most of them told him, that's not the Holy Ghost. Just come back tomorrow and we'll keep praying. Right? That's weird. That sounds a weird sound. A year later, a visiting missionary heard Lund making these clicking sounds, and as one eyewitness uh, put it, he about went into orbit. He goes, oh, if you could hear how he's praising the Lord, the missionary said. The visiting missionary uh, recognized the clicking noises as Zulu, and uh, it says that Lund eventually moved to South Africa as a missionary, ministered among the different tribes there, including Zulu. I mean, you can hear, if, if someone's up here just making clicking noises, wouldn't you be like, man, that's a weird church. <laughs> what is wrong with that person, right? Come back tomorrow. We need to keep praying for you. Uh, that, I mean, that's crazy. Here's one that was a tongue that was used as a prophecy. Uh, Murray and Marjorie Brown served as missionaries to West Africa from 1940 to 1980. 
Not long after arriving in West Africa, the couple welcomed their first child into the world, a baby girl named Ruth Elaine. Little did they know a decade would pass before they would have another child. They prayed repeatedly over the years, uh, facing one failed pregnancy after another, and they almost gave up, but God had a miracle in store. While serving in Togo, Marjorie overheard an African boy praying in English. And this is what, the, what he said. You're going to have another baby. It will be a boy. And when he is born, you will know that nothing is impossible with God. But the African child could not speak English. He was simply praying in tongues. God spoke a prophetic word through the child, speaking specifically to Marjorie, a word not only of encouragement but of promise, uh, and this promise was realized on September 9, 1950, when the birth of Murray Nelson Brown, Jr. at Ridge Hospital in Ghana. He now serves an executive of Teen Challenge in Ohio. All right. So this little article's got like eight different stories in it. You can, if you get a copy of it, uh, you can look the book up. It's on Amazon. It's got so many stories, and it's encouraging. I just want to say, people that say, oh, man, that gift doesn't happen anymore. Uh, let me tell you, the testimonies of these people's lives is ongoing because these gifts do, are real. All right? God is still using it. So that is the gift of tongues used as a sign for unbelievers. Amen? So though you can pick those up on the way out or let me know. I'll email it to you either way. You're going to be encouraged. I wanted to read all eight of them to you, but I don't have time for that. So... Uh, Last one is interpretation of tongues. Let me just say, obviously, this gift has no meanings if there's not a tongue. No tongue, no interpretation of tongues, right? It just doesn't work that way. Uh, the definition is the ability by the Holy Spirit to present in a known language the meaning of something that has been previously given in an unknown language, right? How do you do that? It's not a, uh, it's not a word for word. It is interpretation, right? How many of you know sometimes people have asked, well, why was the word so long, but then they gave the interpre interpretation it was only this long? It's not a direct word for word. It's giving an interpretation, right? Some of you that, that know Spanish, how many of you know sometimes somebody may something something really long, and then someone will summarize it like that, or vice versa, right? It could be like that, and then it takes us like even longer to explain it. That can be the same way. The person, here's the thing, person bringing the interpretation, it might be the same person that gave the tongue. Or it might be somebody else. That both ways are biblical. Sometimes people are like, well, they gave the tongue and the interpreter. No, it's scriptural. Both ways, either one. The purpose of it is the same as prophecy. Like all the things that apply to prophecy, it applies here. It needs to be tested, right? Is it building up? Is it encouraging? Is it comforting? All of that applies. 1 Corinthians 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And then Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless, everybody say unless? Unless, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. So he's talking about this gift in the church. Listen, it's good. He wants everybody to be uh, uh, building themselves up, praying in tongues in your own personal, private prayer time. But in a church, if you're going to do, if you're going to be out loud where everybody can hear you, there's got to be an interpretation. And when that happens, that is the church is being edified. Amen. If a tongue as an interpretation in the church is not edified, if they felt like, man, they that just got me a scolding. 
Anybody ever been scolded by a word? I mean, I've seen some weird stuff over the years. I've been in this a long time. Like somebody got up and just literally ripped somebody as a a result of a tongue, and it's like, "Ah, that's not God. (laughs) Wrong. That's not what the gift is. It is to build up. It's to edify. You can just see it all through 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 12 and 13, so it is since with you, uh, with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Why? Because we, anybody come to church today to be torn down and uh, discouraged? I didn't think so. The world does enough of that for us. We want to come here and we want to build up, be built up. Sometimes it's not just the message. Sometimes it's not just the words. Maybe it's somebody giving a, a prophetic word. Maybe there's a tongue. Maybe there's inter- It doesn't happen every week, but it does happen, right? And when it does, it's like, hey, listen, I need to hang on to that because I want to be built up, amen? So here's a question. I've had this asked. So why does God give a tongue and interpretation and not just a prophecy if they both have the same result? Why does God do that? Now, ultimately, God only knows that. Uh, I heard somebody explain it like this, that uh, if God gives one the tongue and another interpretation, that's a demonstration of 1 Corinthians 12 of the body working together. The gifts are to be for the common good, and he's speaking about that. He discusses the importance of the body of Christ. Another reason is that speaking in an unknown tongue dethrones the human intellect and makes room for God to speak what he wants. Does that make sense? You see, one of the problems that we have as the church is that we can ruin things with our own intellect. Oh, this is what needs to be done. I think this needs to be done. Uh, Like I said, I've been pastoring a long time. If I had a list of all the people telling me what I should do, right? This is what you should do. This is what you should do. Some of the times they're right, but sometimes it's just a matter of us. We're, we're, We're trying to run things that are supposed to be spirit-led by our own intellect, right? Sometimes we got to put our own intellect on the back burner and say, okay, Holy Spirit, this doesn't make any sense, but lead me in this, amen? Sometimes it's just a wake-up call. Sometimes we can kind of drift. Anybody ever drone? Like, like, oh, what's going on? And somebody gives a tongue, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what's that, right? It's a wake-up call, and now you're attentive to hear what the word's going to be. I don't know, I don't know all the reasons, but I do know this, that the gifts, these gifts that we're talking about, they've got to be regulated. There's got to be boundaries there. The scripture says that. Verse 26, what shall we say, brothers, when you come together, uh, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for what? Strengthening. Strengthening. Notice that theme going on there. And then he says this, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep uh, quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. I've taught, how do you know? You're going to be doing it by faith, amen? Doing it by faith. And I believe, I've never been in a situation where there was a tongue given and there wasn't eventually an interpretation that came. Sometimes it's been a wait, and I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is bouncing from individual to individual until someone's finally obedient. I can't prove that scripturally, but I feel like that's got to be how it is. Uh, But uh, there's got to be guidelines. Verse 29, he says this, 
Two or three, so that was tongues and interpretation. What about prophecies? Two or three should speak, and the others should weigh carefully or judge what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Again, so this is not, this is like we are in control. The Holy Spirit does not overcome you and make you do things you don't want to do. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a possessor. That's what the devil does. The Holy Spirit will give us words. And, uh, and when we get something, it says this, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophet. Right? You can, the Holy Spirit will give you a word, and then you may hang on to it for a few days. You may hang on to it for a few minutes. But you wait for the right time for that to happen. The Holy Spirit is not going to make you do it. Don't get afraid. Yeah, you know, sometimes when people are praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to grab their jaw and start making their tongue move. How many of you know it doesn't happen that way? He's not going to possess you. You've got to open your mouth and actually allow, even if it sounds whatever, uh, speak it out and be obedient. Amen? So if you have a word, you have control, you can wait for it at the right time. And uh, uh, he ends it with this right here. For God is not a God of disorder, of peace. So you, amen. So we realize there's got to be guardrails on this gift. There just does. And, and he, God provides what they are. They are for encouragement. So why is it important? Uh, we encourage those gifts. But we ask, listen, if you have that prophecy or tongue, we have designated like either myself or my wife or Pat or Sean over here. If you feel like you got a word, go to one of them. And, and, or, or us and say, hey, listen, I feel like I got a word. You may get it for a few minutes and say, this is all I got. And uh, we just want to do things in order. Amen. Does that make sense? So what do we do with this? I'm wrapping it up, believe it or not. I presented nine gifts of the Spirit last week and this week. Each one of them, I believe, is a benefit to us individually. I believe it's a benefit to the church. And I believe it's a needed thing for us to actually reach this world. Amen. And uh, we've got to be a church that's dependent on the Holy Spirit. The church should always be spirit-led, spirit-directed, and spirit-filled. Uh, Amen? Not just, oh, well, I sing spirit-filled songs. No, I mean, like literally being led of the Spirit. I had a book that I've been reading, and uh, James got a copy of it and sent me this, this reminder out of it, so I, I wanted to put it in there. If we expect the Lord to add to the church daily, anybody want to see that? Right? If we expect the church to add, uh, Lord to add daily, those who are being saved, without anticipating wonders and signs and Holy Spirit and feeling, then we are trying to complete in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit. Ow. Kind of chew on that one for a minute, right? He, uh, he referenced Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish after beginning with, uh, with the Spirit, now you're trying to attain your goal by human effort? Can I just say, as a church... If I'm trying to now accomplish this great commission that he has called us to go into all the worlds by my own creation, let me come up with a plan. Let me come up with a, you know, the, oh, we need to do this and we need to do that. And uh, uh, no, I, you, nothing wrong with plans, nothing wrong with that, but they got to be led of God. Amen. Amen. They got to be led of the Holy Spirit. Listen, going to the fair is, uh, is a plan that, that we feel like God has called us to do. It's not just like, oh, what can we do? What can we do? Uh, let's stop trying to figure out what we can do and let's find out what God wants us to do. Amen? Does that make sense? 
So I could offer you statistics on how this is working. How is this playing out globally around our world? Because sometimes people will look at one church and it, it might be a church that does not believe in the gifts of the Spirit anymore. And it may be a big church and like, oh, see, look at that big church. And, and look at your church. It's small. So which one's right? You can't take individual churches and make a judgment. You've got to look at a movement worldwide. Does that make sense? And, and see what is going on. Not individual churches. Now, here's the thing. Church movements or denominations that do not believe in the spiritual gifts, they believe that they ended back in the first century, whether it's baptism in the Holy Spirit, all of that, all of those churches right now, if you look at statistics, are on a decline. Even though there are churches that uh, are big in that area, uh, as a whole, they're in decline. It's just a reality. What's going on? Now, the church movements, denominations, whatever, that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that he's still actively engaged, the gifts of the Spirit, all nine gifts of the Spirit, and filling of the Holy Spirit, all of those worldwide are growing at exponential rates. All right? So how do you explain that? I found this article out of the World Christian Encyclopedia from 2020. Currently counts there are over 644 million Pentecostal Charismatics worldwide. Now, if you don't know this, the, uh, the whole Pentecost, this was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that started in 1900. So it's been going 100 and, what year is this? 23 years. So uh, uh, for it to grow that much is, is pretty phenomenal. So what does that mean? What does that look like? It says it is predicted that by 2032, which is how many years from now? Nine, nine years from now. This is 2023, so <laughs> any, uh, but it says Pentecostals will outnumber those who identify as Catholics. Now, if you know anything about numbers in the Catholic Church, that's huge. And this is people that identify as Catholics. Can I tell you, I, I was friends with a Catholic priest back in Texas. He basically claimed if you were Hispanic, you were Catholic. Right? I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. Like, if you're Italian, you're Catholic. So, uh, and that's what he said. He goes, oh, yeah, they're, they're all Catholic. It's like, uh, well, no, I've got some that come to my church that aren't. So, so when, you say, when you see Catholic numbers, they just claim swaths of people. But those that say, those who actually identify, oh, yeah, that's what I am. So I don't know if you realize how phenomenal that is that uh, in nine years, that's what the prediction, globally, the number of Pentecostals is predicted to rise over 1 billion in, in, in uh, 2050, uh, 2050. Some of us will be here, some of us won't, right? Here's a, and these are statistics are already four to five years old. So we don't know what it is. Why would I share that? Is that happening? Is the churches that believe in the move and the giftings of the Holy Spirit, does it mean that they have more money? Is that why they're growing like that? <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody's got more money than Catholic Church. Let me just say that. Uh, is it because they have more talented pastors and missionaries? Oh, man, I thought someone would say yes. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not that. What is it? Be it's because of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you begin to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to draw people. Right? When you can begin to do that, he gives it, he says, don't go and do this until you've received power. So that's why I've been talking about the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm talking about the gifts, because we can see God do amazing things now. Didn't the scripture say, Zechariah 4, 6, not by my might, not by my power, but what? By my spirit. Can I just, this is how we're going to fulfill the things that God's called us to do. 
This is how, you know, we're going to be, you got a group of people going to El Salvador in a couple of months, and it's like, okay, well, let's just, we're going to go with the giftings of the Holy Spirit, amen? amen. We're going to go to the fair this next week, not just to present, oh, you know what, here's a gospel track, here's some candy. Uh, we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because people are going to walk up with so many different places in life that they're at. And how many of you know there is no cookie cutter, oh, i got to do this. All right, I shared the gospel, I shared the gospel, I shared the gospel. Everybody, is everybody in here different? Look around here. Does anybody look like you? Right, unless there's twins or something like that. Uh, nobody, all of us are different. And God is so good and the Holy Spirit is so creative. He knows exactly where you are. And I hope that you hear this. God knows you. He knows where you are. He knows your hurts. He knows your struggles, he knows your disappointments, and he knows exactly how to grab a hold of your heart. I'm up here just speaking words, you know, that I feel like God gave me, but you know what God does is he takes it to minister to you in an individual way. What somebody over here heard me say, uh, somebody over here will be like, you know what, no, this is what I heard. Because that's how the Holy Spirit takes our words, but we got to be sensitive to that. And so my encouragement as a church, you know, here's our church growth plan. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and to reach our world for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can I have everybody stand? Listen, if you're here today, if you're here today, listen, we're talking about gifts. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, step number one is that you've got to know Jesus. You're not going to get any of these gifts if you don't know Jesus. If your life is not surrendered to him, and you may be here today and say, you know what, I gave my life to the Lord you know, back whenever, but you know that you know that you know that right now you're not really serving him. I want to tell you, you can make a commitment back to him. God is the, the father to the prodigal son, always standing there with his arms open wide, wait, ready for us to come back. So if I can have you, just everybody, for just a moment, just to close your eyes. And if you're here today and you say, listen, pastor, I want to give my life back to the Lord, either first time or maybe a recommitment to the Lord, I'm not going to make you come up to the front or anything, but just say, pastor, I want to, I want to pray that prayer. If that's you, just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I see a few hands. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are so good, so loving, so patient with us. Oh, God, thank you for your patience. Lord, thank you for your patience and your mercy. And Father, for those that, that did raise their hand, Lord, you saw. Lord, there may be some here that they didn't raise their hand. And Lord, it doesn't matter whether I saw it or not. You see their heart. And so, Lord, they want to make a new start today. So I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer. And listen, if you, if you mean it from your heart, God is hearing right now. Say, Heavenly Father. Can we all just repeat this? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus to die for my sin I give my life to you afresh and new today come into my heart fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to follow after you all the days of my life in Jesus name amen 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 can we give the Lord let's give those a hand clap Listen, if that was you, uh, I want to encourage you, if you're not already coming, get engaged. Listen, we are, we are a church here that, that loves anybody. You don't have to come here very long before you realize, hey, listen, we're all friends. 
right? We're all trying to make this on our, uh, with each other. Nobody does it alone. Uh, become a part. We've got small groups and, uh, uh, that you can get connected. But I want to, as we wrap this up, I just really sense that we need to, uh, if you need, if you want to move in those gifts of the Spirit, well, I'm going to pray again for, for you. If you say, listen, maybe I'm moving in some of the gifts, but if you're not, just a prayer. Listen, it may happen right now, but through the week, desire those spiritual gifts. Begin to say, God, I want the gifts in my life. I want them manifested in my life in a powerful way. And uh, if that's you, let's let say, if that's you, can we just all raise our hand? I want God, God, you move however you want in my life. I guess that's just the prayer. However you want, oh God, let your spirit move. Lord God, let me take off the reins that I've put on them. Let me take off the reins in my mind that have hindered you. Lord, I don't want to quench your Holy Spirit. If you say to speak, I want to speak. If you say to pray, I want to pray. Lord God, I want to be your light in a dark world. If that's you, can we just all say amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you and we give you this, our lives. Use us for your kingdom. Lord, when we meet the lame man, let us not throw money. Let's throw something more valuable and speak life to him. In Jesus' name, amen.